So please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. And for today, this will be broadcast number 36, which means this is week number 36. And for today, if we may, I want to take some time looking at uh, Revelation chapter 20 and perhaps do this over the next two Sundays. Revelation chapter 20. Take a look, please, at verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This angel was spotted by John, and this angel was no doubt a male creation. There are no female angels in Scripture. And here this angel has come down from heaven. Not the angel of the Lord, which you might imagine, but just simply an angel. Somewhat ironic. Having the key of the botanist pit and a great chain in his hand. This supernatural being has a literal chain, but not necessarily a physical one. Because Satan is a spiritual uh, creation of the Lord. He is a spiritual creature and therefore he will be bound in a sense that we don't quite understand. And here this angel has a key which will open and lock the bottomless pit. And I made the case some weeks ago, looking at, I think it was chapter 9 from memory, how there is a pit under our feet, and it's like a washing machine in some sense. If you uh, put a wash on, you see it go round and round and round, and the water gets hotter, and the clothes are packed tight. Well, imagine being in a washing machine for all of eternity. You can't really, can you? But if you try to comprehend such a thought, it'd be somewhat frightening and not terrifying. But here, this angel has come down from heaven, third heaven, and he's got a key of some kind to the botanist pit and a great chain in his hand because this creature called Satan is a very powerful creature. And whenever we think of Satan... We sometimes scratch our heads trying to comprehend why he was allowed to fall, why the Lord allows him to continue to roam the earth, looking to devour whom he will, and what his purpose will be at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. But eventually, 20 verse 1, he has been detained. And from verse 2, it tells us, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is a devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the botanist pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should see the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Thousand years, verse 2, and the term thousand years will be found six times from Revelation uh, chapter 20, and yet most people are either amillennial or post-millennial, and to hold to one of each uh, particular view is simply fallacious. A thousand years is a thousand years. A hundred years is a hundred years. Fifty years is fifty years. There's no need to spiritualize it. But people spiritualize passages such as this because they want to uh, retain power. They want to retain authority over mankind. They want to protect their palaces. They want to protect their properties. They want to protect their prestige. You get the idea. But verse 2, at long last, speaks about the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, being bound for a thousand years. Serpent, devil, Satan. There are three of his titles, denoting that there are three parts to a satanic trinity found in the tribulation. Antichrist, false prophet, 
and Satan. And these three, when they come together in the tribulation, will result and cause the death of over two billion people. And he, this angel from verse 1, laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, going right back to the book of Genesis, which is a devil, meaning accuser, and Satan, and bound him literally a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, which means just that, there was no bottom to it, and shut him up like the Lord would shut Noah into the ark. He couldn't get out until the Lord allowed him out, and set a seal upon him, similar to the mark of Cain, which the Lord gave him to stop anyone from executing him, and also similar to the mark of the beast, which people take in the tribulation to buy and sell, that he, the devil, should deceive the nations no more. And it means just simply that, the nations, those that will arrive, or those that will go into the millennium at the end of the tribulation, and will remain, it would appear, in their uh, national settings till the thousand years, and I mean thousand years, should be fulfilled, come to an end, and after that he must be loosed a little season. So for a thousand years he will be bound, like I say, he will go nowhere, and he will find himself in this pit, which is where all of the fallen angels are currently held, going back to those that fell, probably with the devil, and uh, we, we read about that from, I think it was chapter 12 from memory and also from Genesis chapter 6 how the spirits that fell took daughters of the sons of men unto their own and they created this half human half demonic offspring so at the moment you've got two pits if you will you've got hell which is spoken of from Luke uh, 16 19 to 31 the first death where all of the wicked dead are currently held being human beings, of course, but you've got another place called, I think it's Tarsus from memory, and Tarsus is where all of the fallen angels are currently held, and it would appear that the angelic world go to Tarsus, whereas mankind goes to hell, or some people call it Hades, but it's the same place, it's under your feet, but after a thousand years, he will be loosed a little season, now he knows that his time is limited, he knows that his power is going to be curtailed during the tribulation but after the tribulation or i should say after the millennium let me just correct myself during the tribulation he'll be very busy for seven years but during the millennium for a thousand years he will be detained so he knows that his time is limited even from his fall somewhere between genesis 1 and genesis 3 he knows that his time is limited now of course from our perspective we see time as a very sacred thing if we make say 75 or 100 years of age, we are somewhat happy about that. But the devil's been around for thousands of years. But when it comes to eternity, it's a little season, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Look at verse 4, please, from Revelation chapter 20. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I saw thrones, verse 4, literal thrones. Earlier on from Revelation, I think it was chapter 4 from memory, it speaks about seats, 24 elders on seats, not yet uh, in 
receipt of thrones. They haven't yet got their thrones because Christ hasn't uh, received his throne yet. So they are currently on seats. But here they got thrones. And Paul spoke about such from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them. They're sitting upon thrones and judgment power was given unto them. Now from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul speaks about the church judging angels. Going back to my earlier thoughts concerning Tarsus from verses 1, 2 and 3. So from Corinthians 6, like I say, we will be judging angels, fallen angels and perhaps even good angels. In fact, it could just be that we will judge our own angels. Paul speaks about covering your head from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 concerning women, of course, when the breaking of bread takes place. And I spent some time looking at that some weeks ago because Paul says how the angels observe us, specifically the women, the sisters in Christ. So it could just be that we, the saved, will judge fallen angels and we, the saved, will judge our own angels which goes back to the belief that we have guardian angels. I don't necessarily reject such a notion, but like I said some weeks ago, it could be that that our guardian angels are not necessarily here on the earth watching us, but are in heaven, beholding our Father's face. And so the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. So your soul is a spiritual shape, and we know that from Luke 16, 19 to 31, concerning the rich man in hell. He had eyes, he could see, he had a tongue which was in need of water, and he was suffering in a flame. We also know from uh, Revelation chapter 6 that those that have bodily shapes, or their souls which are bodily shaped, are in need of wearing a garment or two. So your soul is a bodily shape. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, they will have their heads chopped off during the tribulation. And that uh, method of executing people goes right back to the Old Testament. I think from memory, one of the first accounts of someone having their head chopped off would be probably David and Goliath. I'm sure there are other accounts before that. But as I stand here this morning, I can't think of any other account pre-David uh, and Goliath. But the Antichrist in the tribulation will... Hunt down Bible-believing Christians, whether Jewish or Gentile, and if they refuse to take the mark of the beast, and they will, he will simply cut their heads off, and he will probably televise that as well for the whole world to see, to put fear into such, and for the Word of God, the written Word of God. And note that it uh, is spelt here with a lowercase w. When people say they believe in the Word of God and they capitalize the w, they are technically in error. The word of God, when it comes to the written word of God, is lower case W. The word of God, when it comes to Jesus Christ, is capital W, denoting that Christ is the word of God, whereas the scripture is the written word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast. They hadn't bowed down to worship the beast. And that term worship, if you go back to uh, Hebrews, or the Hebrew word for worship, I should say, and even the Greek term for worship means to kiss. What does Psalm 2 say? Kiss the son lest he be angry. Judas Iscariot would find Christ in the garden and he would betray him with a kiss. So to worship someone doesn't necessarily mean that you just have to bow down and pray to a statue like Catholics do, but it also means to kiss such a person, to embrace such a person. But I will leave this as it currently stands and just leave it in the sense of it, meaning that this, uh, this crowd of people 
were not prepared to worship the beast, being the Antichrist. They weren't prepared to bend the knee to the Antichrist, like Daniel and the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. Neither is image. Now, this image could, on the one hand, be a statue. It could be like what Nebuchadnezzar would build and force people to bow down and worship. Or at the same time, it could be some kind of an image which comes to life. Now, we spoke about this some weeks ago from chapter 12, how the false prophet is able to bring this image to life. I don't quite understand how that will take place, uh, but there are many things in Scripture that we don't understand. We are told to believe a lot when it comes to the Scripture, but we're not told to necessarily understand, because you can't. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament very carefully, I think you get one, two, three chapters on creation from the book of Genesis, but you get one, two, three, four, five books on how to worship the Lord. You see, you can't understand creation. No matter how much you try and understand creation, you can't. But what you can get your head around is worship, because man is built to worship. Mankind wants to worship someone or something. Unfortunately, most people worship the wrong type of thing. But here, tribulation saints, not church age saints, have been beheaded because they wouldn't worship the Antichrist. Neither his image, which may or may not come to life, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, like 666, or in their hands, right hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So a thousand years is a thousand years. Around this time, which uh, feeds into the first resurrection, you've also got the Old Testament saints being resurrected. But before I get ahead of myself, look at verse 5, please. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So, at the end of the tribulation, you will have a resurrection taking place, which will scoop up the tribulation uh, saved, those from the tribulation, saved Jews and saved Gentiles. But also, you'll have a resurrection for Israel. Now, when Christ goes into the ground... Uh, Matthew or 20, Matthew 28 speaks about the resurrection, but when he's crucified in the previous chapter, it speaks about uh, some of the uh, dead coming up and walking around. And that was seen in Jerusalem. We also know from the Pauline epistles and also one of Peter's epistles how Christ would set captivity captive. He would go into the ground, and I mean hell, and he would, on the one hand, preach to the wicked dead, found here in verse 5, and at the same time, proclaim victory to the saved dead and he would scoop up all those in the ground like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, David, Josiah, Daniel, Solomon perhaps, Samuel, Saul perhaps, maybe Mr. and Mrs. Adam perhaps, I don't know, and take such back to glory with him. So if someone was to die today who is saved according to Second Corinthians chapter 5 I think it is, they are absent from the body, but present with the Lord. So there is no one in hell today, or Hades, call it what you will, who is saved. But there are unsaved people in hell today, or Hades, call it what you will. And uh, the text which always comes to my mind, again, is Luke sixteen nineteen to 31. So you've got two things. Like I say, you've got the first resurrection, which incidentally doesn't uh, concern the church. When we got raptured, First Thessalonians chapter 4, we got a new body. So, resurrection, Israel, if you will, rapture church. 
But Israel, or the Old Testament saints going back from creation to Calvary, will need a new body of some kind. Now they were raptured, like I say, with the Lord, and they went up with the Lord in his ascension. But their bodies slept, and this is where people get somewhat confused. People think that when a person dies, they sleep, and they call such soul sleep. No, the body sleeps, not the soul. The soul is very awake, very much awake, very much aware as to what is going on. So if you keep that in mind, that will perhaps help you understand what is going on. Verse 5 again, but the rest of the dead, unsaved, wicked dead, Luke sixteen nineteen to 31, live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, meaning they weren't resurrected. Now they are still conscious, they are still very much aware as to what is going on, but in the context of resurrection, in the context of ruling and reigning, uh, verse 4 and 5, this is not for them, because they died unsaved. Let's keep reading on, and I'll come back and try and pull these verses together. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Go back to uh, Revelation chapter 2, which we looked at some weeks ago. And Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 11, please. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. He that hath an ear, he that is prepared to listen, let him hear what the Spirit, Holy Ghost, saith unto the churches. He that overcometh, he that is born again, he that appropriates the atonement, like right now, shall not be hurt, shall not be afflicted, shall not be destroyed of the second death. So one more time from verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So the Spirit is speaking to the churches, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the churches, and the promise has been made that if you overcome, which you do so according to 1 John chapter 5, and also 1 John chapter 3 simply means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death means just that. Go back to Revelation chapter 20, please. Look at verse 6 one more time. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death, and also final death, incidentally, hath no power. It can't touch you. You're covered by the blood. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So at present, if you are saved, according to the Apostle Peter, you are a royal priesthood. Not a physical priest, not a literal priest. You don't dress up in fancy costume. You don't go around putting water on people's heads. You don't uh, offer yourself as father such and such, you understand. But you are a spiritual priest. Whether male or female, you are a spiritual priest. But here, the context is going to switch to a physical priest concerning the millennial temple. And at the same time, you're going to reign with Christ a thousand years. So you're blessed from verse 6 because you are saved and you are blessed from verse 6 because you are a part of the first resurrection and after you get resurrected you are going to be priests of God and of Christ going back to chapter 1 and chapter 5 and you will reign with him 
being Jesus Christ, for a thousand years. But keep this in mind, if you will, as well, that from Revelation 19, the church has already returned with the Lord Jesus Christ on horses. So, technically speaking, this piece of scripture is technically aimed at tribulation saints and saved Old Testament saints. And as far as the church is concerned, we were judged at Calvary. We were rewarded at the judgment seats and we were married to the Lord during the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Such people, from verse 8, were born during the millennium. And during the millennium, it would appear to me that man still has free will. And some will get saved and others will not. And here Satan has been loosed out of his prison, verse 7. And you think of Acts chapter 1 concerning Judas going to his place. And as a result of being loosed, set free due to the Lord's permissive will from verse 7 out of his prison. He's able to deceive the nations, verse 8, like he's done for six plus thousand years, which are in the four quarters of the earth. If you switch on the news, it speaks about, or if you listen to any of the main uh, news carriers, like the BBC, for example, or CNN, for example, or Fox News, for example, they say how they have news uh, correspondents in the four quarters of the earth. They cover the four points of the earth. And they're able to relay back to their viewers as to what is going on around the world. And here, the devil has been able to deceive the whole nations or deceive all of the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog, a throwback to Ezekiel, Old Testament. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as a sand of the sea. So it's quite remarkable to think that, that during the millennium, people will not only reject the gospel not only reject the king but they will align themselves with Gog and Magog and prepare to do battle with Almighty God. This of course also is going to feed into Armageddon. Chapter 6 spoke about World War 3. Chapter 19 spoke about World War 4 and chapter 20 speaks about World War 5. Look at verse 9 please. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed a camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So it's clear to me that this is a suicide mission. But more concerning is the fact that man is wicked. There is an innate wickedness in man. And even with Christ ruling in sight of everyone, that still won't be enough for people to believe on him, but to turn against him. Because man is innately wicked. The innate wickedness of man. And Calvinists refer to such as total inability or total uh, deadness or total depravity. That's what I'm looking for. Total depravity. Yes, man is totally depraved, but not in the sense that the Calvinist would have you believe. So I think I will stop there and just offer some final thoughts. The first nine verses to this very uh, powerful piece of scripture. And say this, that the first resurrection is going to concern, first and foremost, tribulation saints. But also saints that were saved from 
creation to Calvary because they need bodies, glorified bodies, to go into the millennial kingdom, as will tribulation saints as well. Those that are not a part of the first resurrection, referred to as the dead, verse 5, are going to be the unsaved wicked dead, going back, let's see now, from creation to Calvary, Calvary to the rapture, the rapture to the end of the tribulation, the end of the tribulation into the end of the millennium. So probably 75% of mankind will be detained, if you will. And verse 5 speaks about how the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So for 1,000 years, there'll be peace on the earth. Just peace, enjoy. Satan is bound. The unsaved dead are bound. Fallen angels are bound. And yet, in spite of that, people are going to be born during the millennium. Some will get saved. Others will not get saved. And those that will not get saved will align themselves with with, uh, Magog and Gog, or Gog and Magog. And the devil will be able to inspire this rebellion, this uh, sense of we shine this man to reign over us. A throwback to Matthew 27. We have one king being Caesar, and Christ will allow such to take place. Satan will jump into uh, this power vacuum, if you will, this mutiny, perhaps, for, better, for use of a better word, and he will allow this to fester. He will take control of it, and they will march and as a result are going to be destroyed verse 9 one more time and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city being jerusalem of course and fire came down from god out of heaven like sodom and gomorrah old testament and devoured them burnt them up he would promise almighty god back in the old testament that he would never again flood the earth but he will certainly burn up the earth And I think for this morning, you've had enough. So keep what I've said in mind, because I know that for some people, they get confused as to where the church fits into all of this and how the resurrections and the rapture take place. But like I say, technically speaking, resurrection, Israel, rapture, church. And we'll hold it there and come back next week and look at verse 10.